hey y'all, you tired of church teaching that just ain't right and it's kind of contrary to all God's word and such? Well, you need to know how to refute it. This here channel will help you out. We got answers. Welcome to Contending for Christ Apologetics, where old Danny boy seeks to equip you with some tools that you can go out and fight that good fight and really develop that there Christian faith. Now get after it, y'all. Today I'm going to talk about another comment I had on my viewer feedback channel. And this comment comes from Wild Fame. Uh, he says, can you please break down the difference in Bible translations? Is the NIV a diluted construct that minimizes the impact of the true inspired word? Now this is what I'm going to cover today on this video. I'm nowhere near an expert in textual criticism or analyzing the extant manuscripts and seeing which translation is the best and verifying from the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic that it is perfectly accurate. So I'm not trying to say I'm a textual criticism expert, but I have done some research and I have done studies. And so today I want to talk a little bit about King James, New King James, New American Standard, NIV, New Century Version, the Message, New Living Translation, English Standard Version, New Revised Standard Version, all these. Which is the best translation to use? Is there such thing as the best translation? And so I want to talk a little bit about this. First, you've got to understand the difference between formal and functional equivalents. Formal and functional equivalents. Formal equivalents pretty much takes the extent manuscripts that we have, the copies, the autographs from thousands of years thousands of years ago and they try to do a word-for-word -word, uh, translation without losing much of the meaning there whereas on the other side you have your functional equivalents where they don't really go for word-for-word -word, they go for more thought-for-thought -thought leading into a paraphrase and so what the intent is for this is for the Bible translators or the committee to read that original language try to understand what they believe the original author meant and then paraphrase it into terminology and idioms, figures of speech, things that we would know of today. And so there's a broad difference between the King James and the New American Standard and the Message, the New Century Version and New Living Translation with NIV and NRSV somewhere around in the middle. And so when we're talking about Bible translations, the first thing to really understand is the difference between formal and functional equivalents. Again, formal, word for word, they try to stay as true to the original Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic as possible without losing uh, the comprehension, if you will. Whereas the message translation, New Century Version, New Living Translation, they go ahead and try to just take the thought the author is trying to uh, give and then put it in modern English today. And that's kind of dangerous because now you're taking a translation committee or an individual and they're translating the original and they're trying to add their thoughts and their interpretations of scripture and pass it off as a legitimate translation. Now both play some sort of role as far as the type of student, the type of study one's trying to do, and as well as the age difference as well. So if you have someone about my age, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but someone about my age trying to really study scripture, I would use more of the formal equivalents to study it 
to get more of that word for word so that I can find out what the original meant as far as the words go in the semantics so that I can try to find what I believe is the interpretation in the application of the passage. Whereas a younger individual or a child would probably lean more towards the thought for thought to make it very easy to read. Now there are some other issues and I probably won't get into that, but if you take uh, some NIV translations and put it alongside the King James, New King James, you're going to find some differences. And we're going to talk a little bit about that now, but I'm just going to leave it there that there are going to be differences between those translations. But the issue when you're talking about translations and what translations to use, you're really asking the question which translation of the New Testament is best to use. Because that's really where it's at. Because majority of the Old Testament translations, for what I've researched and everything, really use the Masoretic text. That's mainly where the Old Testament comes from. Now, there may be some other manuscripts, but that's mainly where it's from. The New Testament is what brings the division or the debate. And the division and the debate comes from two main texts or two main areas. And this is really where this question uh, is answered. You have one area called the Byzantine area, the Byzantine text. Then you have the other area text known as the Alexandrian text, the Alexandrian era in Egypt. You see, the Byzantine is considered the majority text. This is where you get the King James and the New King James Version. Whereas the Alexandrian text is considered the critical text. And these are where the NASB, the ESV, the NIV, and all the other pretty much translations come out of, is this critical text. And this is really where the debate is. Basically, the critical text was mainly found in the area in Alexandria, Egypt. That's why it's called the Alexandrian text. Whereas the Byzantine text is found in modern-day Turkey area. And if you look at this map with the majority text, the Byzantine text, it was found where these New Testament churches were established at. So that's why you're probably going to have a majority, a lot of manuscripts found in that area. Because Paul wrote the letters, Peter wrote letters, James, and you know all the New Testament authors. So they would have been circulated and copied and transcribed from there. And so when you're talking about translations, realize it's not really necessarily about King James versus uh, New American Standard NIV, but it's more about Byzantine versus Alexandrian. Majority text and the received text versus the critical text. So let's look a little more about these. The majority text, there have been over 5,200 extant manuscripts found, 5,200 copies of the New Testament, the Byzantine text is said, and you can double check my facts if you'd like, but it said only 1 to 3 percent of the Byzantine majority 5,200, only about 1, per, 1 to 3 percent of those are found in the Alexandrian text. So you're looking at somewhere around only 50 to maybe 100, 150 uh, extant manuscripts survive in the Alexandrian text. So you have a lot more of the Byzantine text than you do the critical text the Alexandrian text, and that's why it's called the majority text, or at least one of the reasons. Like I said, your Byzantine text was found near the New Testament churches in that day, whereas the older ones, the, the, not the older ones, but the Alexandrian text were found hundreds of miles away from where those New Testament churches were. You see, another thing is Irenaeus 
actually quotes from passages that the Alexandrian text removes. If you were to look at early church father Irenaeus, you look at some of his writings, you'll find that Mark 16.9, Acts 8.37, 1 John 5.7-8, Irenaeus actually quotes those. And these are passages that the Alexandrian text removes. Now that's interesting. Also, with the Byzantine text and Alexandrian, the Byzantine text, you have the Magdalene Papyrus, which is dated from around the 1st to 2nd century AD, matches this majority text and the received text from Erasmus, which we'll talk about here in a minute. The Alexandrian text, on the other hand, remember this was around the Gnostic era. This is where a lot of Gnosticism flourished, and a lot of this, uh, just a lot of ideas and religions and philosophies floated around. So that's another thing about the critical text in Alexandrian text that you got to remember in that it was found where a lot of Gnosticism really grew hold of. The Alexandrian text actually is 10 pages, 10 pages shorter than the Byzantine text. There's 10 pages missing or 10 pages less in the Alexandrian text than there is the Byzantine. The Byzantine text agrees with the Peshitta, which is dated about 150 AD, as well as the Old Latin Vulgate, which is around 157 AD, which were both New Testament copies or extant manuscripts. You remember Westcott and Hort? Westcott and Hort were, well, they're infamous for their false ideas and heresies. Westcott and Hort used the Alexandrian text to make their translations. These Alexandrian texts a lot of the manuscripts have additions, deletions, erasers, revisions, edits, all over it. It's been mutilated and corrected, if you will, edited numerous times. Origen. Origen, who preferred allegory over literal translation because he was heavily influenced by Philo, uh, he began the translation of the Old, text, Old Testament in what's called a hexapla, and basically Again, you have another individual with some false ideas because he believed in pre-existence of the soul. He believed that even Satan could be saved, and he denied an eternal hell. And so you have two individuals using the Alexandrian text with their false ideas and their heresy doing some translation. So let's look at Erasmus, because a lot of problems stem with the King James and the New King James and the Byzantine and the majority text stem from a man by the name of Erasmus around the 1500s AD. So who is this person? You see, Erasmus was an individual, he was raised in a monastic school since he was nine years old. Research shows that he was highly educated. He went to Oxford. He became the professor of divinity at Cambridge. He received a theology doctorate at the University of Turin in Italy. Erasmus knew Latin and Greek and spent a lot of times in, Latin, in Italian libraries while he was over there. Erasmus studied early church fathers' writings and verified the textus receptus or the received text, which we'll talk about, with their quotations, early church fathers. You see, Erasmus studied a lot of these different majority texts. What a lot of people say is that the, the King James and uh, the New King James was put together based on the majority text, meaning that they looked at, if you have 10 manuscripts, 
and nine of them agreed with each other, one didn't, then they would use the, the nine to say, okay, this is what the verse is, right? And that's what they say as far as the majority text, that it's the majority of the verses that agree that we're going to use. Well, it's a little bit more than that. Because Erasmus, when he did the received text, the Textus Receptus, he studied many of the extant manuscripts, and he translated them into what is called the Greek New Testament, or what we know of as the received text. You see, this was published in 1516. This wasn't something that Erasmus did just like that. This was something that I believed to have been done over the period of 15 years by the man by the name of Freud. I don't know how you say it, but it's F-R-O-U-D-E. It says the Greek New Testament was published in 1516, but explained in 1507 that he worked on it for a while. And so it's believed that it took him at least about 15 years to finalize and finish the received text. It's not something that he just did right, right, you know, right away. In 1516, he finished the Greek Latin New Testament and basically what he did with this is he took the Greek and the Latin New Testament and he paralleled it to show how corrupt the Latin Vulgate was because the Latin uh, was supposedly the truer uh, translation from the earlier text showing that the Vulgate was corrupt. So let me back up and show this again. He created or translated the Greek Latin New Testament parallel, okay, side by side like parallel Bibles, to show how corrupt the Latin Vulgate was. The Latin was the truer translation from the earlier text. So again, remember, this individual, he knew Greek, he knew Latin, he knew languages. And so he retranslated, or not retranslated, but he took that Latin and he translated it into what he believed was most accurate and showed how the Vulgate uh, that was used with the Alexandrians uh, was very much uh, not accurate. Because of this, he was actually kicked out, excommunicated out of the Catholic Church. So, Erasmus was a very intelligent individual. This was not somebody that just put together some translation and kicked it out in a matter of a year, even a couple years. They said it took him at least 15 years to study, again, not only of the manuscripts, but also early church father writings different people and the quotes that they have that show the received text, his translation, were referenced by the early church fathers. Those verses that the Alexandrian text removes and throws away, they were quoted, and you can research this for yourself, by the early church fathers. And those longer ones, the verses that are in the King James that not in the NIV, were actually quoted by the early church fathers. That's very important information when you're looking at this. Moving on from Erasmus, you look at William Tyndale. William Tyndale was the first one to translate the Bible into English. And what translation did he use? Well, he used the received text, the received text that Erasmus had made. William Tyndale wasn't just any normal Joe. This man, he knew many languages, including Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And he was educated at Oxford and became a subdeacon while he was there. Not only that, but the majority text, the received text, there are many advocates for it being the better, best translation, better manuscript. You see these advocations, uh, advocators by the names of William Wilbur Pickering, Zane Hodges, and Maurice Robertson. 
Robinsons. If you don't know who they are, research them. They're highly educated individuals that hold true to the majority text, the received text, as opposed to the Alexandrian text. So that's pretty much it. This question about which translation is best, it goes a lot deeper than either formal or functional. It goes deeper to what manuscripts do we hold to be closest to the original autographs? Is it the Alexandrian or is it the Byzantine? Is it the ones found in Egypt or is it the ones found in Turkey closest to the New Testament churches? Both of them are old. Both of them have old references. And we see this from the Peshitta. We see this from the Magdalene Papyrus of the majority text. And we also see this from the Old Latin Vulgate and a lot earlier than that as well with the Alexandrian. They're both old. So this is just a cursory overview of those translations and those texts. And I hope it answered your question. But uh, drop me a line in the comment if it didn't. Like I said, I'm no textual critic, but I'm just a guy who likes to research and study and draw my own conclusions. And so let me know how you agree, how you disagree. But if you were to ask me, if you're just looking at formal functional, go with formal. King James, New King James. If you're looking at which manuscript is better, more accurate to the original, whether it's the majority text, received text, or whether it's Alexandrian, I personally choose to use the majority text, the received text, because I believe it's more attested to by the early church fathers than the Alexandrian text is. So that's pretty much it. I hope you liked this video. Even if you didn't, give me a like, subscribe, whatever the case is. You know, let me know how you disagree and how much of a uh, ignoramus I am. But I thank you for that question. I hope you guys have a great, wonderful day. And until next time. God bless.